بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد Continuing with our lesson on من أدب الإسلام from the work of the great scholar of hadith Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda we were discussing the adab and the etiquettes on page 53 and we continue from where we stopped it was the topic of respect of parents. On page 53, we continue. The revered Tabi'i, Ta'us bin Kaysan, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, said it is part of the Sunnah to respect four persons. An alim, a leader, an elder, and a father. Four people. The first is an alim. And who's an alim? An alim is a person who has acquired the knowledge of deen at the hands of other scholars. Um, a self-proclaimed person who merely reads books is not uh, an alim. An alim is somebody who sat by ustad, and that ustad sat by another ustad who sat by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is why um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, "Inna ilmu bit-ta'allum," that the knowledge of deen you will acquire by learning from someone. Wal-fiqh bit-tafakkuh. And the true understanding of deen you will get by staying in the company of somebody who has the understanding of deen. So just reading a book, this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the book that was sent to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sent Sayyidina Jibreel alayhi salam, although the, the kitab could have been sent directly to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But to teach us that if you want to benefit from, from the book that you need, you need to take it from one is the kitabullah and one is rijalullah, the rijal who learned the knowledge of of, of deen. So that is a true scholar who has learned from somebody which we call in, in the terminology of Sharia, it's called Isnad. Isnad. That uh, you know who your teacher is. It's like your, your lineage and you, like I know who my father is and his father. Uh, in, in our knowledge of deen also, we know where you learned this from and who is his teacher up to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Imam Muslim, the great muhaddith, he said that lawla al-isnad if it was not for this link of transmission that we have a teacher up to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, if it was not for Isnad, then every person who ever wanted to say something would have said whatever he wanted to say and say that, no, this is deen, this is deen. Like we see today, every person has got his own opinion of what deen should be. And if you ask him that where do you get it from, he says, no, it's my opinion. In the time of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, rahimahullah, one of the great imams, uh, when people used to say, that this is the, the ruling of Sharia. He said, before we accept his word, we would say to him, Sammulana rijalakum. Tell us who are your teachers? Who is your teacher? Where did you learn this from? Are you saying it from your own side or did you learn it from someone? So this is why these people are so valuable and we are taught, like the, the Tabi'i Ta'us says, it is part of the Sunnah to respect four persons. The first is an alim. The second is a leader. The person who is the leader of the community, we need to show respect because this is part of the etiquette of deen. And then an elder, a person who has aged, a person who is senior to us in age, we need to respect them at all times. And obviously a father, uh, which has been emphasized many, many times in the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And 
it is considered rude that a man calls his father by his name. That a man, his father's name is Ibrahim, for the son to say Ibrahim. But he should use a loving word in the Quran. We see even Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, he addresses his father, Ya Abati, Ya oh my beloved and my dear father. So uh, when we address our fathers and mothers, we should not call them by their names. And these adab and etiquette, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa taught the Sahaba. There was one Sahabi who came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa a young man. And sometimes the young men, they are enthusiastic and they know they want to have their way. So he came to complain to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about his father, that his father was using some of his possessions and his wealth. And uh, on his way, he, he came to Rasulullah and he complained, and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent for somebody to call the father. The father realized that there was this complaint uh, against him, and as he was walking in his mind, he, he said some Arabic uh, poetry in which he was complaining to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and addressing his son that you were such a small, weak child and I loved you so much, I took care of you, I cleaned you when you were sick and you were unable to uh, sleep or you, you were feverish and you were, uh, you were having difficulty. That became my difficulty. Your not being able to sleep resulted in me not being able to sleep. And he continued saying this. He says, uh, why not did you just treat me like a normal human being with respect? Why did you have to embarrass me and you know, complain about me to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi And when the father came to, he didn't utter this with his words, with, with his tongue. These words were not uttered with his tongue. He came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was informed by Jibreel alayhi salam that, oh Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ask this man to read to you the poetry that he had formulated in his mind. And this man, his iman became even stronger in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi that that which he didn't even utter, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is alimun bidatis sudur, who knows what is in, hidden in the hearts and the minds of people, informed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa heard these poems, he began to weep. And he told the son, Anta wa maluka li abik. You and all your belongings belong to your father. He can use you the way he wants to and he can use your wealth also. This was just to reprimand him. Although the teaching of Sharia is that the father uh, should use, uh, in fact, the father was not using it for his personal things. So normally in Sharia, if uh, the father wants to use something which belongs to his son, he should take his permission. But in this particular case, the the behavior of the son um, resulted in Rasulullah sallallahu reprimanding him for complaining about his father in this particular way. So. Um, the last person mentioned of the four is the father, and therefore uh, we should show utmost respect. If this is what we have to do with our fathers, then with our mothers even more so. At the end of his book uh, on Maliki law entitled Al-Kafi, Imam Ibn Abdul Bar rahimahullah says, kindness to parents is an obligatory duty, but it is only easy for the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it such. So to be kind to one's parents, sometimes our parents become old, and so in, in the old age, they, they might be on medication and they, uh, they, their moods might be not suitable to, we also might be tired and they tell us something. But this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we need to, may Allah give me and all of us tawfiq that we don't utter anything that hurts their feelings. Or in, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا وَاخْفِضْ لَهُمَا جَنَاحَ That lower your wing. Your wing of humility to them. And, 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 and the word janah is used, the wing. Like uh, is, you are supposed to be a protection for, for your parents. Uh, 
and وَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْ Do not say أُفْ The ulama say that that is the shortest word that you can use in Arabic to make somebody feel offended. If it was an, a shorter word, it would have been used. But the intention, the, 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 the intention behind this particular verse is to tell us how serious it is to make them feel uneasy or to make them feel unwanted. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us and protect us. So it is an obligation and it is only easy for those people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy. Kindness means to be humble with them, to speak to them politely, to look at them with love and respect. This is also very important. One is that we don't say anything, but then with our eyes we give a look. And sometimes the look of the eye uh, is more offensive than the, the word uttered by the, by the tongue. And Imam al-Nawawi rahimahullah in his book, Kitab al-Adhkar, when he discusses the aspects of ghibah, what is backbiting, he says sometimes your backbiting doesn't have to be a word that you utter. So there's somebody walking perhaps in front and they might be a little short in stature in their height and just with your eyes you indicate to somebody about how short they are. That will also be included in, in riba and, and backbiting. So sometimes with the eye, the, the, although no word is being uttered, but the gesture and the message which is understood uh, is very, very clear to the person who is... So if it's the parent and the son is looking very angrily at the parent... You know, the parent doesn't need to hear a word from the tongue of the son or the daughter which is giving that look. They know. The way when, when, when small children are naughty and the father gives a look. So without saying a word, the child looks at the, into the eyes of the father and knows that, okay, the father is upset. But this should never happen uh, that we, uh, we cast a glance of, of anger to our parents. And this is why in a hadith we are told that if a person looks with love and respect with the gaze of love and respect to the parents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the reward of an accepted umrah to a person. Just with love and respect you looked at your parents, mother or father, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you the reward of an accepted umrah, but, but a nafil umrah. Obviously, the, the compulsory hajj and umrah is still remains the duty of, of a person. <clears throat> so to look at them with love and respect, to speak in a tone, uh, that does not surpass theirs unless they are hard of hearing. So to speak loud or to shout at them unless they have difficulty hearing, then you could raise uh, your voice when speaking to them. Uh, to give them complete access to your own wealth and to offer them the best of your food and drink. Allah give us tawfiq. Uh, those uh, you know, who have lost parents or who don't have their parents, they understand the value of, of, of these words. Sometimes when parents are alive, uh, we, don't, we do not value them and appreciate the, the barakah, and the blessing in your life because when your parent is alive they shield you because of the du'as that they make for you because parents always make du'a for their children as soon as the parents leave this world the first thing that you realize is that you next to go because it's your turn in the generation that generation is gone so now next in line is your generation and uh, then you realize uh, when you start getting your own children and they're growing up, you realize how you see your weakness and how you were to your parents in your children. So this is why it's important that we show respect to our parents. And if they had passed away already, then what do we do? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept the door of dua open for our parents. We make dua for them and we give sadaqah to the poor and needy with the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them the reward. And we also 
do good deeds and make dua for them. And we, we are kind to the people that they befriended in their life. If we do this on the day of Qiyamah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would then resurrect us with those people who are obedient to, to their parents. So this is a very important part, uh, which we just completed now in the respect of, of parents. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq uh, to be respectful to our parents and uh, grant us children who are obedient also and compassionate and kind to us when we become old. On page 54, the author continues and he says, which is the last part of this chapter, one should not walk ahead of one's parents, nor should one speak first to them when it is their right of doing so. So when there's big people um, and the parents are there, then they should be given the first option. If they are speaking, we remain silent and we listen. And when it's time for us to speak, we do so. One should try one's utmost to avoid upsetting them. And this is difficult because this is as dunya sometimes uh, you, you are in a difficult state, you're tired or there's some frustration and you end up saying something. But as, if you said something, as soon as we realize we did something wrong, we need to try to make up for it. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told Sayyidina Abu Dhar radiallahu an, Ya Abu Dhar, atbi'i sayyiyata al-hasanata tamhuha. Ensure that if you commit a, you make a mistake and there's a fault that you have committed, transgression, then follow it up with a good deed. Do something good and that will eliminate the effect of that bad deed. So it happens we human beings, we said something wrong or we did the wrong glance or the wrong gesture or we did the inappropriate thing, then it is our duty that we try to make up for it, try to make them happy. Like we cause them sadness, we try to do something to make them happy. And when we make them happy, that is, like I always say, it when we get the dua of our parents, which comes from there, from their hearts. So we should try not to upset them and should seek their pleasure as much as possible. Pleasing one's parents is one of the most virtuous acts. One must hasten to respond to the call of one's parents. If one is engaged in nafil salah, one should shorten it and respond to them immediately. One should only express kind words to them. And this, this is basically the translation of the verse of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us to speak to them. Uh, kindly and compassionately. So if you're making a salah and you've been called, then you shorten the salah and uh, try to respond as soon as possible. Obviously, if it is something which is life-threatening, then you're allowed to break your salah to obviously uh, uh, assist and support where you need to. On the other hand, there's a short message. Sheikh Abdul Fattah gives a message to the parents now, a short message. In return, the parents should assist the child in his endeavor of being kind to them. It is sometimes the case where a child is trying to make his parents or her parents happy, but for some reason, the parent also tends to never be happy. Okay? So it is also the duty of the parents to ensure that they try to maintain a happy relationship with their children. Some people are always miserable. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. You know? uh, we need to uh, make dua and tasbihat. And sometimes the reason for a person being miserable always is disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah says, one of the effects of disobedience to Allah, the first effect of disobedience or sinning, is that a person is constantly angry and miserable. You know, so sometimes um, uh, a, a person doesn't realize why they, uh, they're, feeling this, uh, they're feeling upset, but it could be because of some form of disobedience. We make istighfar, recite salawat and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and that condition will 
will be alleviated and removed. So the parents also have got their, their part to play. You know, it's on one. One is the instruction of Sharia that a child, whatever it is, needs to be respectful to the parents. But on the other hand, Rasulullah has taught the parents also that you need to be fair amongst your children. Uh, you need to be just with them. Nabi didn't allow the Sahaba عنهم, to, to be unjust in, in favoring some children over others. If a person has got children, whether they be male or female, they should be treated equally with the same love, with the same uh, affection, and the same favors. And uh, the the... Yes, sometimes in old age a person can be pardoned and we understand that there are conditions. Um, but Sheikh Abdul Fattah here says, by the parents being more accommodating and understanding, they will be assisting their child in his behavior to being obedient to them. For indeed, when it, uh, when it comes to fulfilling the command of Allah, it is only with the assistance of Allah that people can obey him and fulfill his commands. So it is a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that these children and we have to obey our parents and we have to be loving and respectful to them. And in order for us to achieve this, we require the assistance of our parents as well. Uh, because it's not easy if a child constantly is being bombarded every time. Anything he does is wrong. Everything he says is wrong. Everything he wants to do is wrong. Then it becomes difficult for a child like that to maintain his level of, of, of respect. So parents also should adopt uh, an approach of encouragement. How to encourage children to do things. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he would encourage children. He, would, he wouldn't say no for everything. And, and our uh, habit is, if a child is doing something, no, 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 no. We're saying no half the time. Right? Uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was eating on one occasion and a young boy came to join him. And he, he put his uh, left hand forward and he didn't say Bismillah. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, hey, don't, don't, don't do this. Don't. He didn't do that. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ya ghulam, O oh, young boy, Sammillah, say bismillah, take the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa kul biyaminika, and eat with your right hand, wa kul mimma yalik, and eat from that which is in front of you. So he gave him like, advice, but without saying no all the time. Sometimes we say no so often, that even if the child didn't want to do the wrong, he's going to want to experiment and see, let me, you know, because the brain is such that um, if, if you, if I tell a, like a student or a young boy, I said, don't move, you can, you can control your hands and, and you don't move your hand. I said, don't move your feet, don't move your head. But if I say, don't think, that's not possible. How do you stop thinking? So the brain continues to work. So the more you tell a person, don't, 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 and you know, you're going to Sometimes that itself psychologically affects the child, right? And if you, I give this example to my students. If I tell you, don't think of a pink elephant. If don't think of a pink elephant. What are you thinking of now? A pink elephant. What I told you not to think of is already in your mind because you can't control the brain. If I say, don't think of a, of a bird now, then there's a bird in your mind already. It's, it's too quick for you to control. So Rasulullah sallallahu his, his hikmah and his wisdom with children was that he would encourage them more, give them an alternative, give them something to do rather than just say no, no, no. Unless it's something which is serious in terms of sharia, then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa would say, don't do this, this is not allowed for you to do this, etc. Like Sayyidina Hassan radiallahu picked up a date in the masjid and he, he was about to put it in his mouth and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, kikh, 
In other words, take it out. That's the Arabic form of saying, spit it out, spit it out. Because that could be a date of sadaqah, and sadaqah is not allowed for the family of the Alubayti Rasulullah, the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So to teach him that this is a hukum of sharia, our family, we, we, we are kept away from sadaqah and charity. So Hassan, don't, don't, get, don't make that mistake. So that's when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would stop them. Be something which is now clearly against the teaching of sharia. But otherwise, generally, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would use a very compassionate and uh, loving tone. So therefore, it is also the duty of parents that they uh, adopt this type of approach with their children. May Allah give us tawfiq. As parents also, it's difficult. Sometimes you end up too hard. Sometimes you uh, too soft. But uh, there should always be dua of a parent, number one, for the child. Because the dua is mustajab. The dua of a parent for the child is always accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we should never curse our children. Uh, this is something also which a parent should never do. A child does something wrong, and uh, the parent says, no, you are hopeless, you know, nothing, you will never come right in life. And, and then when, when the child has difficulty in, in his life as he, as he grows up, the parent says, I don't know what's happening with this child, you know, so much difficulty. Then in the meantime, it was all the curses of the mother and the father when the child was young, which is affecting this child now as he, as he has grown up. So always a good word. Rasulullah sallallahu taught us that we, in fact, uh, one of the, the, the weaknesses which could result in people going to Jahannam is Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said is the abundance of cursing. Using curses, la'na. Tuksirna la'na. About in the night of Mi'raj, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said he was shown some, uh, lots of women who were in the fire of Jahannam. And amongst the reasons he said that they constantly curse. They constantly curse and they show ingratitude to the bounties of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So, for example, if, if a child is walking uh, in a dangerous place, then don't say, hey, you're going to fall. And this is what people do. They say, hey, you're going to fall. And then when a the child falls, they say, yeah, you see, I told you you're going to fall. That's why you fell. Well, you shouldn't have said that in the first place. You should have uttered a word that, hafizakallah, may Allah protect you. I don't want you to fall, my child. I don't say a word which shows the child concern rather than a word which sounds like um, wanting some harm to come to the child. And this is important because what we utter has its effects. So don't tell the child, you will fall. But say, inshallah, I don't want you to fall. So that uh, at least you, you, you're trying to show the child that you're wishing good for him or her. So this is uh, the duties of the parents. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability as parents also to ensure that we fulfill our responsibility. The, the parents have a great role. The first responsibility of a parent is to ensure they give the child a good name. That's the first. And even before that, there's a responsibility of a parent in Sharia, and that is to ensure that they're doing good deeds before the child is born. When they do good deeds, it has a good effect on the, on the child. Then when the child is born, to give a good name, a name which has a good meaning, or it is the name of somebody who has a good legacy in history, so that when the child grows up, uh, the child asks you, who did you name me after? And you say, okay, your name is Muhammad, or your name is Ibrahim, or you give a beautiful name of Maryam, or you say Safiya, or one of the beautiful names of the pious people in the legacy of our deen. Then uh, they've got something to look forward to. So we should, this is also something we must be careful about, the type of name we choose. Now people just go on Google and they say Muslim name. They type Google, Muslim name. Now that, we don't know who prepared that also. 
Now you got English, Farsi, German, everything is there and everything is all mixed up and now they give the child the name. And I, I constantly, I give this example. In my, in my own extended uh, family, uh, there was a baby born and uh, they found this name. I said, we found a nice name. The name, I said, what's the name? They said, Jarad. Since in the Quran, in the ninth Jews, but in reality, they chose a name which had a bit of an English anglicized tone as well. So if you say it in English, it's Gerard, okay, which was uh, a midfielder for a British football team. He's retired a few years ago. So it sounds like, a, it's in the Quran, but your intention is actually that it sounds like the, like the midfielder. So in, when the child grows up, his friends will say, okay, there's Gerard. So I told him that the word Jarad, it is in the Quran, but the meaning is a locust. It comes in, in, in amongst a whole lot of words of the types of adab which came onto the, the nation of Fir'aun. Pharaoh in, in Egypt, when he was abusing Sayyidina Musa salam, and the children of Israel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent various tests of difficulty upon them. Amongst them was locust. Allah says, فَأَرْسَلْنَا عَلَيْهِمُ الطُّوفَانِ We sent storms upon them. وَالْقُمَّلِ and lice, and frogs. In other words, everywhere there were just frogs, and then it was lice, and waljarad, locust. So I, I was, afterwards I was reflecting, I said, well, lucky they found that one word. If they had to go a little bit, a word before that, it would be lice, or a storm, or uh, blood, which also comes in the same verse, same verse. So merely finding a word in the Quran doesn't mean that that's good enough for a person to be named. The shaitan's name also comes in the Quran. So a good name. This is the right the child has over, over the parent that we give them a good name. Rasulullah sallallahu If somebody's name had a negative meaning, he would adjust their names and, and give them a, a, a good name. There was uh, one lady among the sahabiyat. Her name was Asiyah. Asiyah means the disobedient one. So in the days of Jahiliyyah, they would give, name, give names like that. They would give the name Kalb, dog, uh, like animals' names. They might be intending, okay, that the, 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 this animal does have some good qualities as well. A dog is a good friend and security, and it's faithful and loyal, and he stays awake at night to protect his friends. It's got good qualities, so that's what they're looking at. But outwardly, the people who are not aware of your intention, they don't know. They say, he's calling his son a dog. So her name was Asiya. Rasulullah sallallahu changed her name to Jamila. Jamila means the beautiful one. And uh, Sayyidina Hassan, radiallahu anhu, when he was born, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa asked his son-in-law, Sayyidina Ali, radiallahu anhu, Ali, what name have you chosen? What name do you like for your, for your son? He said, Harb, Harb means a warrior, the fighter. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, no, no, no. Name him Hassan. Hassan means the beautiful man. The beautiful one. And then after the next year, Sayyidina Hussein was born. He said, Ali, what name have you thought about? He said, Harb ya Rasulullah. He said, another warrior. Sayyidina Ali was al-Karrar. He was a, a brave, mighty warrior of the Sahaba, radiallahu Among the scholars and also a warrior. So Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa smiled and said, no, no, no. Give his name Hussein. Hassan and Hussein have derived from the same words. Hassan, Hussein means beauty. Extreme beauty. So Hussein means the smaller one of the two beautiful ones. So Hassan is the beautiful one, and Hussein is the small beautiful one. 
uh, which was the, the beloved of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So good names and ensuring that we educate them with what they need in the dunya to survive in this world, the skills of this world to be able to read and write, to learn the ahkam of sharia which are fard, to ensure that their identity as a good Muslim and a good human being is preserved. This is what Rasulullah instructed parents to do. And when it is time for them to, to, to settle on their own and get married and live lives um, independently, then we should support them and help them in that way and ensure that uh, the door of zina does not, uh, does not become easy for them. Uh, because if, uh, if marriage becomes difficult, then zina becomes easy. This is why in Sharia, the mahar, how much time do we have left? Three minutes. The mahar at the time of nikah, the mahar should not be too exorbitant. It shouldn't be very high. Like in some Arab countries, uh, I was once uh, with an Arab friend of mine yeah, from Saudi. I asked him, how much was your mahar when you got married? He said, no, mine was cheap. Only 50,000 riyals. I said, ya Allah, 50,000 riyals. Right? So when, when mahar becomes difficult, then you'll have like those governments who want to give subsidies. If you get married, they give you a subsidy, and then you're still starting your life off in debt. Um, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa encouraged that uh, nikah must be simple and it should be affordable. If that is easy, if nikah is easy, then disobeying Allah becomes difficult. But if marriage becomes difficult, then the alternative which is haram becomes easy. So as parents also, we should create an environment in which halal is more uh, the option rather than the avenue of haram. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us purity and piety in our lives and in the lives of our children and our parents, inshallah, in our community, and make our children the flag bearers of deen and the representatives of the Ummah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in goodness. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.